Thanks for listening to Adoptive Believers. I'm your host, Daniel Lawson, and today we're going to be mixing things up a little bit. So I have done episodes pretty much exclusively on passages in the Bible where I just teach passages, but I want to do a quick series on how to study the Bible. You know, these are not, this is not an exhaustive you know, commentary on how you have to study the Bible. This is not a set of rules you must follow. This is just some helpful things to think about when you are studying the Bible. And before we dive in, the first thing I want us to look at is Bible translations or versions of the Bible. And in this, I'm not going to give you a, you know, list of, or, you know, you have to use this translation. I'm just going to give you some things to think about as you choose which translation you want to use. So when we think about Bible translation, we need to realize that, you know, look at a Bible. You you might have one in your room next to you. Your Bible, now this is going to sound wrong, but hear me out. What you're looking at is not the infallible Word of God. What you are looking at is a translation of the infallible Word of God. Okay? What you are looking at is a translation. We do not speak God-inspired the biblical authors, and they wrote in their language infallible words, words that were completely true, words that were inspired by God. And fortunately for us, God has promised that his word endures forever. We have the Holy Spirit who preserves God's word. God has given us through the scriptures everything needed for life and for godliness, and He so he preserves the scriptures. That's good news. So even though God has not promised us, you know, to inspire his words in English, He has promised to inspire his words, and in his case, he did it in Hebrew, Greek, and a little bit in Aramaic. And we know now that we do have copies of that. So hopefully you're wondering, like, how do we have copies of that? They're really old. That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. Well, I don't really know if you asked it, but I'm assuming you did. So the Bible, obviously, you know, it's a religious text. So its followers, Christians found it important, so they copied it. Christians copied it, and even going to the Old Testament, God's people copied that too. The Old Testament and the New Testament have many, 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 many transcripts. And I say that because it's really important to realize that this is not like, you know, I really hope this is it. You know, if there is ever any question as to whether or not, you know, something is in the Bible or not. It's because there's so many manuscripts that occasionally there'll be, you know, one or two that were copied incorrectly. But fortunately, there's so many manuscripts that we can cross-reference and see, well, 98% of the manuscripts say this and 2% don't. You know, we're going to go with the 98%. Or, you know, one good example is 1 John 5, 7. And the King James Version actually keeps part of that verse that was not written by John. But fortunately, we have 
manuscripts that are very early that do not contain that portion. And so now we know not to include that in the Bible. We know because God kept his word, we know that that is a mistake on the end of the King James Version. And I'm not here just to bash the King James, by the way. The King James, especially considering the resources they had, might be the best translation job ever. You know, it's not the translation I would recommend now, just because it's outdated. But seeing, you know, just the, mind you, they didn't have any internet, they didn't have any emails, they didn't have any of the plethora of resources that are used now. It's incredible what they were able to do. And even more so guys like Tyndale, you know, who are copying, you know, translating God's word on the run. Like, that's crazy. Or I forget if it was Tyndale or, Tyndale or Wycliffe who was on the run. Um, I know that, you know, Christians in his day were not looked upon highly. They, he faced a persecution. But anyways, so God's word, what you hold when you hold God's word is a translation of that. And so you may be wondering, like, can I put my full faith and trust in this? And the answer is yes. God has blessed his church with skilled scholars who translate his word. God does not leave his people without his word. And we see, fortunately, that especially in today's society, there is a plethora of different translations that do a great job of keeping each other accountable. Okay, so you may have six translations, six solid translations, and you can compare them, see why they do what they do. And you can also look at commentaries where these commentators will look at the Hebrew and the Greek text that they understand. And they will tell us, you know, this means such and such because of the linguistics in the Greek or whatever, you know. And so as you pick a Bible translation, you need to understand you know, really where it came from. The Bible you hold, obviously, Jesus did not speak the language that you're reading it in. You know, that goes for Spanish speakers, that goes for French speakers, what have you. But God has given man the ability to translate, and so we can translate God's word from the Greek and the Hebrew in which it was written into languages that we understand. And we Especially, and we can now use the talents God has gifted us to make an accurate translation. So, as you pick a translation now, there are many versions to pick from, especially in the English language. There's so many, and it can be overwhelming, but there is good news. The first thing you need to look for when you are looking for a translation is who translated it, okay? Can you trust these guys? You know, you look back. Let's take Crossway with the ESV. That is a reliable team. And Tyndale and where they published and where they translated, we have reliable scholars. You have really good people behind it. That's what you want to look for. You know, you look with the New International Version, with even going back to the 84, with the International Bible Society, where you have evangelical scholars who are committed to the infallibility of God's Word and who keep that. You look at the Lockman Foundation. They wrote the New American Standard Bible. 
These are things you need to be looking for. There, And I haven't said all of the great translations, by the way. You really want to look for, you know, is it a reputable translation? Is it a translation that is committed to the infallibility of God's word? Or do they think, ah, oh, you know, there's mistakes here and we can kind of gloss those over. Like, no, let God speak for himself. Tell us what God actually said, not what you wish he said. And you can see this with Jehovah's Witnesses Bible, you know, where they may have really smart guys, but they twist the scriptures so that the scriptures reflect what they want to hear. And that's where you have to look at the source, say, you know, these Jehovah's Witnesses deny that Jesus is God. You want to stay away from that. That is taking away from God's word. That is a horrible sin to do. Taking away from God's word. And now that we've, you know, that's the first thing you want to look at is the credibility. And the second thing is where does it fall on the spectrum? You're like, what spectrum are you talking about? Well, in Bible translations, there's typically used a spectrum to kind of assess Bible translations. On the one hand, there is the school of thought that teaches that a Bible translation should be as formal as possible. And formal, not in the sense of fancy, but rather the translations should try to keep the form of the original Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic that it was translated from. You will see this with versions like the New American Standard Bible or the English Standard Version. Those are translations that pursue a formal translation where they try to keep the form as much as possible. Another school of thought is the dynamic translation where they believe that the most accurate way to translate is to lose the form because the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic are so different from English, they decide to choose to change the form to capture the meaning what the authors meant. So that means that you may not have the same form, but by losing the form, these translators hope to more accurately convey what is meant. An example of this would be in, Span in the Spanish language, sometimes double negatives are used. And that's okay in Spanish, but in English that's not okay. So you'd have to change the form of the sentence. You'd actually have to drop words from the Spanish to convey the real meaning. Because if I said, I'm not not going to do that, then really that means I am going to do that. But obviously that's clunky too. But in Spanish, if I said, I'm, you know, now, I believe it's no, no one, you know, that's, it sounds weird in English, but if you say no, no one, it still means no one. But, you know, in Spanish, they'll write it like, no, oh gosh, it's been a long time. It's been, it really has not been that long since I took Spanish, but I think it's no, nadia, nadie, maybe. I, my, I hope my Spanish professor is not listening. He did a great job. My mind is failing me, but you get my point where translation, where languages have differences, these dynamic translations try more to account for that. Now, that's not to say that they are rigid, like the NASB is only formal and the NIV is only dynamic. You know, they will have to adjust. 
Sometimes the NASB will translate a particular passage dynamically, or sometimes the NIV will translate it formally, what have you. But they typically will lean towards one or the other based on what they believe is the best, most accurate way to translate something. And really, there's advantages to both. A dynamic translation is typically more readable because it is translated, you know, more. you could almost say more fully from the Greek and the Hebrew to the English, the way almost pursuing how Paul would have said it in English. Whereas a formal translation tries to let you see through the English into the Greek and the Hebrew, how they had it worded and phrased and arranged, which they both have their advantages. If you are trying to read a lot of scripture at one time, I'd encourage a dynamic, you know, where you're not going to get caught up on harder to read phrases. But if you're trying to do a word study, I'd recommend a formal translation. And as you go through this, another great thing to do is talk to your pastor about what a good translation is. And finally, just practically, don't stress too much about which translation you use. Use a good, reliable translation and don't worry about it. You can use different translations if you want. Don't feel like, oh, I'm using the right translation. Like, they all have their strengths. Some translations are better than others. But, you know, there is... They are all translations of God's inspired word. And it's, I encourage you, use multiple translations so that you can most accurately see what God said to you and what God said to his people, to the church. So that is just diving in because obviously as you study the Bible, you're going to use a translation. So keep that in mind as we go through. Just Pick a solid translation, one that is accurate. Obviously, I encourage you, favor accuracy over readability. Just because a translation is readable does not mean you should use it. Use an accurate translation that is reliable and trustworthy. Then you can dive into studying God's Word. And if you've got questions, email me at daniel at adoptedbelievers.com. I'd be happy to give you, you know, some advice. If you're like, I don't know which one to pick, you know, there's uh, plenty of good ones. My three favorite are the New International Version, the Christian Standard Bible, and the English Standard Version. They're all different. They all have their pros and cons, and I like them all. But without further ado, I'm going to see you all next time as we learn some tips in studying the Bible. Bible.